We're back and our, we have our guest in studio. Um, our student is Parsa Rizai and she is a second year architecture student in our graduate program. Welcome to the show. Thank you very Welcome. much. Hello. Um, the other thing we should mention and I, uh, yes. um, is Parsa stars in our latest student story video, which you can find on our website. So check it out. It's a really good story. So Parsa, give us a little bit of background about yourself. Sure, yeah. Um, I did my undergrad at UCSD, actually, where I was doing pre-med, um, and I was kind of taking the safe medicine route to a guaranteed, safe, prosperous career where you're doing a job. How could you not possibly want to be a doctor? So I was going along that route, and I've always been good at math and science, biology, not so much, and it ended up being a human biology major. So I was kind of falling out of it throughout the entire four years that I was studying it, and I applied to medical school after university, and I didn't get into any of the ones I wanted to go to. I didn't get into any, period. So I had about a year of reflection where I was wondering, is this something that I actually want to pursue? And I knew deep down I never wanted to pursue medicine. I just ought to. Um, so I happened to get a job at an interior architecture firm with one of my friends, and I worked there for about a year and loved it. And we were starting to slowly get into doing some hand drafting and some CAD work. So I decided that I wanted to take it further because I had no credentials or real experience to get ahead in that career. So I took a course in Florence, Italy over the summer, um, not last summer, but the summer before in 2017. And it was an architecture course and a furniture design course. And it was a month long. And when I got back, I knew it's exactly what I wanted to do. And prior to going to Italy, I had applied to Woodbury and I had gotten in. And I was kind of hoping that this trip to Florence would answer, do I want to pursue a master's you know, three years after my undergrad or do I want to just take these certificate programs and move forward? And the moment I got back, I knew I definitely wanted to pursue a master's in it. I wanted to be an architect. Um, I didn't want to be in interior architecture anymore. I wanted to actually get into buildings. So when I got back, I had called, and I spoke to Ingalil directly on the phone, and she said, it's not too late. You can still accept. That's our, that's our dean. Sorry. Yeah, our dean, an amazing woman. Um, and she, um, yeah, she said, just come by. The orientation is actually in a few weeks. So you can come by and see how you like the school. And I went to the orientation and knew it's exactly what I wanted to do. And here I am, and I've never been happier. Architecture is seems like twice the amount of work that I was having in medical school, but that's because you want to do the work. You allow for twice the amount of time to be put into your projects rather than memorizing your organic chemistry homework. And You know, I, I find it, I, I don't want to skip over the fact that you um, went to undergraduate thinking that you were going to become a doctor because we know a lot of students who just don't know what they want to do. Right. And it's different than when I went to school when you were supposed to figure that out. Now I think a lot of young people feel like they have to know what they want to do because, you know, to put it frankly, tuition is very high at a lot of schools and you don't want to just waste your time going. So there's a lot of pressure right. to to um, feel like you know what you want to do. What Did, did you want to be a doctor due to pressures from your family or was this just something? Yeah, that, okay. absolutely. I think okay. it was always my dad's dream that one of his kids would become a doctor. We're first generation Iranian people here. So it was always a fantasy for him that we would be. And I, and I was always strong in math and science, so it made sense in a way. But I'd always had a very artistic side to me too, which is why architecture was always a dream for me, but it was kind of 
hushed due to this need to become a doctor. So, you know, you can only push that ought to for as long as you possibly can until, I mean, some people can go on doing what the stable career would be, but if you have the passion for art and architecture or something creative, it becomes hard to hush that voice in your head. So you knew, uh, because you went to Florence, and I was just in Florence a couple oh, months are. ago. Forenzi. Um, <laughs> um, but you knew when you went there that you... So you knew you had an interest in architecture, right? Like this is something that was sort of living in, inside of you, I guess. Yeah. For lack of a better way of putting it. So you knew that. And, you, and one of the things that, you know, in hearing your story that strikes me is I was not aware of the fact that you could not study architecture as an undergraduate, but go into a graduate program and become an architect. So can you talk a little bit about the program you're in and how that works? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an amazing opportunity that students get because usually the way the educational system works here, you should have it figured out at least for your undergrad, and then your master's is just the next step. But um, they across many disciplines, they've been offering these master's programs where you can come in without a background in it. And you do an additional year. So our usual MARC 2 program here is two years. So if you have a bachelor's in architecture, it would just take you two years to complete your master's. Now, if you don't have a background in architecture, you go in the MARC 1 program. So your first year is a crash course on everything you need to know architecture. And the next two years, you're just furthering that. And I was kind of skeptical in the beginning. I thought, how in three years... Will I be able to know enough to say, okay, I have a master in architecture right now. How is this going to be sufficient? And smoke and mirrors. Smoke and mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> but the amount of time that you put into it and the coursework, the way it's structured, it architecture becomes this consuming entity in your life for three years. After one year, um, I knew so much more than I ever could have imagined that I knew. And then it just keeps exponentially growing because when you know the baseline of what you need to know, you can just advance it that much faster. So, yeah, I was very skeptical to the program as a whole, but I thought, well, as long as I have my, my master's degree, I can become a licensed architect, so that's a loophole. But while going through the program, it's really giving you a deep education on architecture, which is really fun. Are you? Do you know if other schools um, have the same policy? Do, I mean, like, uh, like let's say SC. I mean, can you go to their master's program without studying undergraduate? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so it's the same across yeah, the board. Yeah, it's usually an MARC 1 is when you don't have a background and an MARC 2. Some schools call it different things. There's MS arc programs, but for the most part, an MARC 1 degree is when you don't have a background. So you do an extra year in grad school. Okay, understand. Yeah. So can you tell us about um, a little bit about the IPAL program? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, it's currently a program that I'm in right now, which is really fun. It's uh, it's like a fast track to licensure, which um, back in the day to become an architect, you would it would take you about 10 years to become licensed. And it was this ridiculously rigorous process. You had to work three to four years under an architect to even get your hours done. And the exams were crazy. Um, but now they have cut back the amount of hours that you need for your licensure in half. And what IPAL allows you to do is that you can start taking your exams while you're in school and you start working while you're in school and you actually take a year pause from school to work full time. So if for the MARC 1 program, you do your first two years of school, you take a pause for a year where you work full time and begin your tests. And then the third year you come back or 
your third year of school, which is your fourth year, you come back for thesis, and then you graduate. And it is the goal that within this period of time, you finish your hours. There's a set track for how many hours you need to complete, and also um, the test as well. So usually what used to be a 10-year program post-education, you can now do in four years with your master's program. And the work experience, is it an internship? Or? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and for the most part, they're paid internships. Um, because of the amount of hours it takes to become an architect, most firms are willing to work with young students saying, if you need this to become an architect, this is going to be a paid position. You do very similar jobs as to project designers and whatnot. So, yeah. Um, so a couple of things. One is you started during that gap year between undergrad and, and grad, you were working in interior architecture or interior design. Mm -hmm. You know, we say architecture. I'm just, you know, speaking to all sure, uh -huh. our, our thousands and thousands of listeners. <laughs> um, but then now you decided when you came here, like, I don't want to do that. I'm kind of curious about what, you know, we're not here to disparage sure, interior yes. architecture, <laughs> but I'm, I'm kind of curious just, you know, from the perspective of someone who's interested in architecture, like what went through your mind that made that, that transition or that switch from interior to, to architecture? Yeah, and, and there definitely is a difference, too, between interior design and interior architecture because I think an interior designer is more deciding the finishes on things and right. upholstery and kind of ornamenting the room more in a way, while an interior architect is actually doing build-outs on the right. inside. So designing kitchens and these in, everything that happens inside. Right. Um, a lot of times that is an architect's responsibility to do that as well, but for renovations and whatnot, there can be a lot more that can be done with it. And the, the firm I was working at... Um, we were doing nightclubs, boutique hotels, um, pretty large-scale projects where you, we were doing a lot of building. It was a design-build firm. Um, but I wanted to go bigger, and I didn't know if I wanted to go at an urban scale yet, and I still don't think I know that answer. Mm -hmm. um, but the interior just wasn't enough for me. So, so it's sort of like, um, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're like, you're, you're designing the interior and you're thinking in your head, wait a minute, I want to design the whole damn thing. It's all about control. <laughs> <laughs> control the so whole project. I, I mean, I, that's how I would feel too. Yeah. So I kind of get that. Yeah. The other question I had is, is you touch on this in the, in the video, but particularly working on that compressed first year where you're really doing the crash course is, you know, the, 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 the fabrication component to architecture and the fact that you're, you know, you to some extent are actually building and you're, you're using all the tools and stuff. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and like what your thought process was going in and, and how you got comfortable? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, going into it, I've always, I've done sculpture, painting, um, a lot of ceramics, but I have never operated a table saw or jigsaw or bandsaw or any of these things um, or welded use any of the metal shops. So upon arrival in your first week, um, there's a groundwork course that you take and they get you all of your certifications to use the shop. And in the beginning, I was horrified. I said, there's no way I'm ever using these power tools. I'm going to lose an arm <laughs> or at least a finger. And I was so scared, but you just get thrown into this program and there's just no way around it. And it it's the fabrication is the best part of all of this. It's like you get to play all day long. 
You get to draw and build models and design things. And compared to my undergraduate degree in biology, yeah. it's just <laughs> the world of a difference. I mean, I tell my friends, it's like it doesn't feel like school. It feels right. like playing all day long, but I'm getting a degree for it, which mm-hmm. is really awesome. So, yeah, with fabrication, um, I really like getting more into digital fabrication, which is with the 3D printing and laser cutting and ceramic printing, which is been a lot of fun and there's so much opportunity in that field especially because we already learned so many softwares and so many scripting softwares as well that it kind of just goes hand in hand with one another so I still love the wood shop and welding I'm still not a huge fan of because I'm still kind of afraid of it I'd say um but yeah digital fabrication I really like so this is your second year correct second year yep and so after this year you'll do a work program right? yes okay so are you do you have to start applying for internships now or, or um i already have a job at a firm so i've i've had a few jobs already since starting some of them were due to ipal some of them were due to word of mouth or people that i had met um so currently i work for this firm called hdr which is downtown and i've been working for them and i will continue to do so and so right now you're you're part-time for them yeah it it kind of fluctuates i have i work as a ta and ra at the school and I work for one of my professors doing our kind of passion projects together, which is kind of more on the creative end, and then also working for HDR. So, so you live on campus then? I don't. Oh, you don't? I don't, okay. no. Okay. I don't. Because uh, RA is resident. It's oh, usually it's RA, but this is research assistant. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, you're originally from San Diego? No, originally from Los Angeles. Oh, okay. So you just yep. went there for undergrad. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Did you like San Diego? I loved San Diego. It's It was so relaxing there. And the moment I got back to L.A., I think my blood pressure started to go up again. Did you naturally. ever think about going to our San Diego campus? I did, actually. Um, the reason I, the way I heard about Woodbury is that um, this one girl that I knew from school, she said her dad was a teacher, uh, Jonathan Siegel. He's a big real estate developer, and he teaches also at the San Diego location. Um, so I was thinking about going there, but then... Cost-wise, it would just made more sense to move home, pursue the master's, and then possibly move back to San Diego. Where is home again? In Agora. Okay. Agora Hills, yeah. Yeah, not far. Not too far. That's good. Yeah. So what has been a highlight of your, um, your experience here at Woodbury to date? I can say what my favorite class was so far. It was actually this, um, we call it visualization, but it's ultimately a graphic design course where you learn all the tools that basically the Adobe Suite Photoshop Illustrator. You do some fabrication methods. Um, This one was a visualization course I took last semester taught by Ryan Tyler Martinez, who's the assistant chair. And we did a 10 drawing set of all of these. They looked like digital explosions ultimately on the paper, but they were so... The methods were so free upon filling the page with all of these like highly technical architecture-looking architecture-like images, but they they didn't represent anything. There was dimension markers or dashed lines, but none of it res- represented anything. So it felt like an art course, but it was had so many roots back into architectural drawing and so many um, so many elements of an architectural drawing, but it never represented any architecture in the end. And my favorite part of that class was the constant debates of what is architecture, what is an architectural drawing, does it have to represent a building or can people choose to do it as an art element? And I think the the deep art history discussions within that course too have become my favorite too. So 
What what is your impression of LA as a architecture city? Well, this is the heart of it all right now. It's definitely one of the design capitals of the world and as far as the US goes right now, I don't think there's a better city than LA to be in. Most of the firms have their offices down here or they have some sort of sister branch out here, so it's definitely the place to be, especially for young architects because there's so many young firms coming out in Los Angeles right now. Um, and there's programs like the A plus D Museum, which is showing young architects work and giving young architects the opportunity. It's not the same thing where you're now 70 and now you can be a famous architect because you have all these years under your belt. There's so much exposure for young architects now. So, and, and you don't get that in most towns. LA is definitely at the forefront of that. So I didn't think I wanted to stay in LA, but because I've been here my whole life. So you might have to. I might have to, which is not a bad deal now. I'm coming around to it. Let's take a break for a sec. Okay, we're back, and we're here with Parsa, who is a um, architecture student, a graduate student in our architecture program, and we're learning all about architecture, which is kind of interesting. I think, um, I, I know I just, well, we were at break. I said I talk too much, and I'm going to proceed to talk too much. So, whatever. I mean, anyway, um, <laughs> one, one of the things, uh, I'll probably cut that out. One, one of the things um, that we like to give our listeners a sense of is what it's like to be a student here. And, and I think with architecture in particular, it's sometimes hard for people to envision what that's like. So, tell us what it's like to be an architecture student. What are you doing? Like, what's the studio time? Where, you know, Give us a sense of that. Sure, yeah. So, most days... Uh, you start with an early class, and you either go into a second one after or a third one after. Um, but any idle time you have on campus, it's all spent in your own personal studio space. So there's, let's see, four large studio spaces, which are these massive open rooms, and everyone gets their own desk or two desks, and that is where you set up your station. You have your desktop or laptop there, um, all of your model-making supplies, it's basically your home away from home. So any moment that you're not in class or you're not getting lunch or dinner, you're spent in your studio space. And it's equal parts a an office space, like a personal office space for you, and a sort of social connection with the school. Um, and studio culture is a very important thing at this school. So with studio culture, they want you to learn as much as you learn in class, they want you to learn that from your peers around you. So my first year, um, I was very fortunate to have um, a fifth year Bachelor of Architecture student who, um, his name was Dylan, he taught me almost everything, which was rendering, model making, digital fabrication, and I could say I felt like I did learn just as much in the studio space as I did in, in class. And that's why you're just constantly learning around the clock. So the days are long. But when you're in studio, it's fun because all of your friends are around you. You're all working on stuff together. People are watching stand-up comedy or sports or movies or playing music. And there's times where I mean, you can definitely have your quietness and your privacy because people need to work that way. But there's also so much room for having fun because you can't be serious 
all day long. And our studios are open 24 hours, correct? Yep, 24-7. And sometimes you spend, you don't go home for a night because you're working on your project all night long. And not because you have to, because you want to and you need to, so... Yeah. Can, it, can it get sort of? I mean, how many students would you say on at you know on on a usual level would be there? It depends. Um, in the first few weeks of school, it's very mellow. On finals, three a.m. in the morning can seem like six p.m. Like it's a standard night. So it really depends on when your midterms are, when your finals are. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some frequent overnighters happening so sounds yeah. exciting sounds yeah, fun actually it is so <laughs> i you know i want to take it over to um woohoo what, what can you tell us about what, what do, do you ever go over there why don't we explain it's the Ooh, um, yes go ahead explain it's our uh, i think it stands for woodbury university Hol- Outpo- outpost. Hollywood, hollywood outpost, outpost. and it is a it's basically a um studio space right they they put on that exhibits i don't think they have classes there but um yeah it's an interesting space yeah it's a nice gallery um it's right on hollywood boulevard it's in the mix of it all and um yeah i do a lot of events so for the lecture series um i help out with all of the architects or artists that come into town that set up their gallery space either in the wedge or in the wuho gallery and have their lectures here so um, as far as WUHO goes, there's so many great events that happen all semester long, and there's such great opportunities for networking because so many really renowned architects go to those events, and there's always somebody from some particular firm you're interested in that's going to be at those events. So without it being a networking event that are usually those cheesy ones that school set up that I'm not very interested in to tell you we the truth. We never do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a, it's a very natural environment where you just show up and you're looking at the gallery installation together and there's room for conversation and I've actually gotten a job doing that same thing. So it's just being in the same room as these architects you're dying to work with. Something's bound to happen. Does so. Ingalil gen- generally um, plan all those events? Um, there's a few that she does plan. Okay. Um, there's one coming up that's the the Unmentionables, Unmentionables Symposium, which should be really interesting. I actually did a competition entry with my teacher for that one. Oh, neat. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's always something happening. If it's showing student work, there's one that shows um, community college work from around our area, and it gives them a platform to show their work. Mm-hmm. Um, or... Last semester, the huge one was Brian Cantley, which is just this incredible architect who makes some of the most beautiful architectural drawings I've ever seen. Um, he had We had the opportunity of having him at the Wuho Gallery, and that was a huge space for many renowned architects to show up and for students to just be able to discuss what's happening, the artwork. So now going back to your, your undergraduate studies and, and where you are today, you went to a, a very large undergraduate school, correct? How many students were? It? Too many to name. I had to take shuttles to get from class to class. Right. And now you're in a very small environment. What, how can you, can you even compare the two in, yeah, this in is, way? Yeah, this is like one of my favorite topics. Because as a medical student at UCSD, um, you have so many resources available to you. Your 
financial aid office is probably a group of 100 people working and your admissions office is probably another 100 people working. I mean, there's just so many resources at, available to you because of how large the school is. Um, but your teacher has no idea who you are. You're in a class of 600 people. You're in a lecture hall and there's a lecture hall next to you that's getting the lecture streamed into it in the next room because it's like, how many students can we get into one class with one teacher? Mm-hmm. And the entire time I just felt, I mean, how am I supposed to get a letter of recommendation because I am literally a number at the school? So that part of it was, that was a, the biggest adjustment I had to make. Going from a small high school to then jumping to this, it, it really bothered me. Um, and with Woodbury, it's completely different. My first semester here, there was five people in our class our first year, five people. Wow. And that, now your professors know you personally, all the other teachers know you personally, and that's how I've gotten a few of my jobs as well, is through that word of mouth. But since it's such a small university, we don't have as many of the admissions resources, financial aid resources. There's not as many classes as I thought there would be for some graduate students as elective-wise. So there are downsides to a small program, but I think the cost-benefit of small class size versus um, less resources for those types of administrative things, uh, it just really outweighs the bad. It's it's kind of nice that you've had the opportunity to experience both, though. So you can really, truly, you know, compare and contrast the experiences, which I think is good. We, you know, I think that <laughs> people underestimate, I know that, I may have as a youngster, um, not that you're a youngster, whatever, I may have as a college <laughs> student, um, underestimated the importance of networking. And and it's, I hate to say it, but who you know, because there, there are a lot of talented people out there. Right. And there are a lot of hardworking people out there. And it comes down to three things, hard work, talent, and who you know. Yeah. And so I think that, I mean, here I am doing a marketing thing, but I, I just want to point out that I, I, it took me a while to really appreciate that, that, you know, it, it's a lot of it is connection. And um, I think you get a lot of that with our small size. Yeah, absolutely. There's, it's like any other creative field. You can only be so good, but if you don't know the right people to get your work out, it can only go so far. So, so where do we go from here? Where do you go from here, Parsa? Where do I go from here? Let's see. When I graduate, I definitely want to continue working at a firm. I like working at large, um, more corporate-style firms in the beginning because I'm learning not only the architecture but kind of the business model of these firms, which has been really nice because I don't have very much experience in that. Um, but ultimately, I would say after a couple years of working in a large firm after school, I would definitely like to work for a much smaller firm and to learn the ins and outs of the entire business. And then I would hope to start owning my, running my own firm one day. So that that's a dream. Exciting. Would it be fair to say not getting into medical school was a blessing in disguise? Oh, my God. I think about it every day. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't imagine being in med school right now. A great profession, but you got to want it. If you, I mean, I often think this way, too. But, like, if you could go back in time to when you were, like, 17, it sounds like you would have studied architecture from the beginning or is that is that yeah absolutely and my mom it's her I told you so moment she always wanted me to pursue architecture because architecture ultimately this is how I look at it if you want a stable career 
that also feels like you're making art all day long. Architecture was like, it was the only creative field that I wasn't afraid to bring up to my dad to justify, this is a stable career. Well, it's an actual profession. It's an actual profession, <laughs> right? If I told my dad I wanted to be an artist, he'd probably have a heart attack. So, <laughs> so th- I mean, it's, it's grounded in, you. there are jobs out there, especially right now. I mean, there's so much new architecture going up, especially in L.A. So it's, it's great for the time being. And so, again, you, uh, would you want to do, you, when you said urban development, so yeah. housing, residential, like, yeah. w- like we need more of that in L.A. <laughs> well, that, I know it's that, going up. I know a lot. It's is. a huge debate here in L.A., dealing with homelessness and the housing crisis in Los Angeles. Um, well, well, can you talk about that a little bit? Because a lot sure. of people say, well, you know, obviously it's a multifaceted problem. It's, a, you know, in some cases, mental health issues, uh, addiction issues. But, like, what role can architecture play in that? What is your thought on that? Yeah, so... That's a heavy loaded question. So with the homelessness problem in Los Angeles, it's is an architect's responsibility as a field to address this issue. The level of homelessness in Los Angeles is at a record high right now. We've never seen anything like this before. And it is from a planning perspective, from an architect's perspective, from a city planning perspective, it is our responsibility to address this issue because these are not proper living conditions for anybody living in a tent in a row of tents that are just falling apart and during a rain like how it would experience today it's just it's a public responsibility to address this issue so there's a lot of politics that plays into it um and a lot of architects think that maybe i don't have the power to address this issue but it's all about making these forward movements there's there's many speculations out about how we can address this issue but an actual solution is probably going to take many, many years and a lot of help from the government to be able to actually carry something out like this. And I think, personally, it's not just revamp, not to give you the next best tent. It's how do we help these from a social level right. and how do we build actual structures that are humane for people to live in. Right. right. Well, I, I think that um, you have an amazing story, and I think it's, it's an inspiration to a lot of students and a lot of adults, for that matter. And um, I just thank you for coming in and joining us yeah, today. Yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, we love getting our students' perspective. And, and you know, we, we're glad you're here and we appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. Thanks.